Welcome to the Amplifier Podcast, the show where the best in business discuss how you can grow your business best. I'm Wyatt McPherson, I produce this show, and on his second of three episodes, Don Cooper is joined again by Howard Getson, the president and CEO of Capital Logics, and someone who has always had a passion for growing businesses and wealth through new technology. Howard will be with us for one more episode after this one, discussing the stages to growing a successful business, how to take it even further, and the people and tools that you need to get there. It's a fantastic conversation all around, so make sure you subscribe so you don't miss the next episode with Howard. And as always, I truly do hope that you enjoy this episode of the Amplifier Podcast. So to me, there's, there's four stages of technology adoption. And since humans have been confronted with fire or the wheel, they've been confronted with new and disruptive technology again and again and again. And even though the technology continues to change, the human nature hasn't. So here are the four stages. The first one is, um, so what, who cares? And, and it works like this. If it doesn't help me do what I already do right now, just better, so what, who cares? When you told me about your new computer, um, before we started recording, the first thing I asked is, um, but do you notice a real difference? And you said, oh yeah, and it only takes me 15 seconds to boot up. And, but, but the bottom line is, if it doesn't meet that natural instinctive, so what, who cares moment, evolutionarily, we have been designed to ignore stuff that doesn't impact our survival. Right. So if a new technology can't help you do that, it fails before it ever goes further. If it meets the criteria, because it did help you, then you start to want to improve it. And this is where I, I change the language a little bit. It's what game are you playing? So in a sense, you have to figure out, here's where I am, here's where I want to get to, and here's how I want to get there. And part of the way you know you're getting there is by keeping score. So the metrics, the KPIs, the key performance indicators, um, or the objectives and key results, or you have to come up with a meaningful set of metrics because you can't tell that it's actually moving you in the right direction if you and your team are using words that you think are the same but mean different things to different people. So this is actually about alignment. It's about clarity. I found that the metrics in stage one almost always relate to efficiency, effectiveness, or certainty. Efficiency is about getting a bigger result with less time or in less time. Effectiveness is getting a bigger result with less effort. And certainty is about achieving that result more consistently, right? And almost any metric that you think of fits into those three things. And I think that it's often good to have a measure of each of them just so that you're looking at a problem more holistically. All right, but that's stage one. Stage two is, oh, by the way, stage one typically relates to the entrepreneur at their desk, meaning the stuff that we do directly. Stage two is uh, something that I say, uh, and then what, or what's next? And what it is, is if it's already helped me do what I already do better, then what I wanna know is what could I do or what should I do that's even better than that, right? You start to get greedy for more. And so 
as you start to traverse that path, you recognize that some of the stuff that you used to do has a lower score than the newer stuff that you're doing. And if you want to improve your overall score, you have to do less of what you used to do and more of this new stuff. So there, in strategic coach terms, that's the ceiling of complexity, like where you, you've hit the point of diminishing returns. And even if I try harder or do more of this, I'm not going to actually get meaningfully different results. I've got to change the operating system a little. So as an entrepreneur, I think of this as adding muscle or capabilities. As we create new capabilities, new skill sets, a whole different set of possibilities come into play. Now, using the game metaphor, you're, prob you're probably playing the same game, but it's like you've leveled up. You beat the boss and you're playing a new level. Um, you're getting meaningfully different, better results. But as an entrepreneur, as you start to get better and better results and you realize that you've added capabilities, you're now sharing this with your team and it's now not you using it. It's now, it's now you directing people around you to use this for other stuff. So it's people you know doing stuff you know, but in a new way, okay? Stage three is really about reinvention. And, and you start to get full of yourself with your new identity, your new capabilities, you're feeling strong and you think to yourself, this new technology is really strategic and unique. I don't wanna compete in that crowded red ocean of commoditization. What new product service or offering will allow me to position myself differently where if they want this, they have to get it from me. And this is where you start to play a different game. And if you're playing that different game, your metrics have to change. Because the old metrics helped you measure progress in the old game, but in a new game, maybe you keep score differently, all right? But part of what's happening here is people you don't know are using your capability to do something you do know, but it's dramatically multiplied the benefits, both to the customer as well as to you. Stage four is all about transformation. And in that game metaphor, it didn't just change the game you're playing, it's now about to change the playing field or the game that other people are playing because that product that you released that was so successful gave them ideas and they come to you with dollars or, or ideas that say, I'd love to use that capability to do this or to do that. And all of a sudden it becomes the platform that new businesses are built on. And, mm -hmm. and it literally transforms the industry because they realize if they don't start to have those capabilities, they're gonna be left behind. And this is what has happened in every technology that has been successful and I could explain it to you how it happened in Tesla or SpaceX, but even in my own company, where if you think about the beginning, I wanted to find out how to automate a trading system so that I could trade better, right? I wanted to eliminate the fear, the greed, the discretionary mistakes. We started to add new capabilities like the ability to use metrics to figure out the efficiency, the effectiveness, or the certainty of the trading. Um, we then wanted to create a product where 
where I could take a capability, for example, to use an automated trading system and apply it to a market on a time frame. So Google or the S&P going back to 2000, that's like a product. That's, that's something that's going to let me do stuff, but it's something that other people that we would hire, they could do the same thing. Then all of a sudden it became an even bigger, better product when it's an autonomous hedge fund that makes and keeps money in a really cool way, it starts to change the perception of the company as people say, that's cool, I want it. And that's when it starts to become a platform because people could say, hey, can you do that trading stuff, um, but do it on these markets with these parameters because I'm good at raising money from that group. So I'll be the front end, you be the back end, and we can make money together, right? That's, that's stage four. But then it chunks higher and you say, well, maybe, maybe the platform that creates financial products is the product. And the platform is, I could do that for other industries. And then even that becomes the product. And the new platform is, what if it's like AI almost like cloud computing where people can just subscribe to it and it's AI as a service. And the point is it's fractal and it's not just about my business. It's about every business. You know, you and I have talked about your vision for this before, and it's, you know, I've been on a journey with my companies um, and particularly in the industrial space to digitize our business so that we had, we were accumulating data that we could actually figure out patterns. Um, and, um, but you know, in your step, I think you mentioned it in your step three, you recognize that there's probably a lot of companies who are going to be paralyzed because they're going to have a lot of data, not know what to do with it. And, you know, I think in a lot of industries, they're trying to do simple things, but they haven't figured out the value of the information that they have or how to use it to change patterns. Um, you know, in our space, uh, in, our, in, in our business, we've figured out how do we, how do we calculate and, and measure the kinds of behaviors that are happening in our, with our customers and with our salespeople and with our operations people, whether it was selling actions that were the, the ones that were leading to the best engagement with clients to win the best opportunity. So we created, like, you know, uh, we, we digitized all of our, uh, all of our sales steps. And then we could look at different customers by different product, by different salespeople and actually see the pattern of score of what led to the greatest results. But we're, we're doing it with data analytics. We're not doing it with AI. We're using, we're having to build reports and dashboards to do that work. Well, let me just stop you for a second. You said that almost apologetically. Um, no, no, not at all. No, I, I just, I'm not, I'm not, the next step for us is how do we build the right logarithmic system that it does that work for us to give us better, you know, and the word I'm, the way, the word I use, and you kind of touched on it, is creating actionable insights so that you can be agile in terms of understanding what's changed yeah. so that you can adapt behaviors. Um, so here's the thing. If I look at trading first, 2000, let's just go back to 2000, basically 100% of trading was manual. And, mm -hmm. and even if there was software that let you trade, ultimately there was a pit. And you remember the people who raised their arms yeah. and you know, buy, sell, and they have hand signals and stuff. 
even if you did something electronically, somebody ended up calling down into the pit and then they ended up placing your trade back. Yep. 2003 was the year on the Chicago Futures Exchange where like there became an electronic product for the S&P um, and it was called the E-mini. But almost, you know, no, no percent, you know, very little of the volume was electronic in the beginning. And it's now, it, by the way, by, by like, 2008 when the crash happened probably more than half of the volume was electronic but we're now at a point where it's like a hundred percent it's it's not really a hundred but you know 99 percent of trading is electronic only 70 percent is algorithmic meaning that they're using a, a, a systems to trade but so much of that is simplistic almost like a light switch moving averages, Bollinger Bands, Keltner Channels. Um, you may not know what the words are, but trust me, it's, it's quantitative. It, it's an equation. It's right. not necessarily dynamic, adaptive, and learning. All they've done is created automated decisions based on what someone told it to look for. Yeah, but, but yeah. even though you say all they did, what, what they did was miraculous because what sure. they did is they've... Uh, objectified something that used to be way more subjective and they mm -hmm. made it more efficient, more effective, and more certain. So they made progress. But the next step is to say, what do you think the chances are as technology gets better, as, as the AI techniques get better, that more and more of the trading isn't just algorithmic, but it's actually based on AI. And I'll start by telling you, um, less than 2% of trading is using AI at this point. And what I, I actually just gave a speech at a pretty major industry conference and I used that 2% number and the people on stage disagreed with me and they said it's even less. Right. But on the other hand, nobody disagreed with me that said, and if I came back and gave this same speech in five years, that number would be dramatically higher, maybe 25 or 30%. And if you came back in five to eight years, it would probably be closer to 50%. And then all of a sudden there's gonna be this magic tipping point and 99% is gonna be you know, using some form of artificial intelligence, but they're gonna be talking about that only 2% is quantum, you know, because there's yeah, always yeah. something yeah. next. There's always some new piece. Yeah. Well, I, you know, and I think that you're, what you're describing there from, you know, the trading floor to electronic trading and you're no longer on the floor to creating uh, objective calculations that help guide those decisions to AI that sort of, I think every industry is going to go through that phase, but probably at different time frames based on what's being adopted. I mean, I, I look at it in selling in industrial safety in engineering. I mean, everything can go through that phase company's got to start somewhere in there there needs to be data that people and i think finance seems like a it, it seems like a sensible place because it's there's so much data yeah but you know uh i joke but it's not even that much of a joke the coolest new technology tends to go to porn and gambling first sure yeah, well, there's, well that's why? where the money is <laughs> yeah, by the way and that's why you said it made sense in finance and that's the point it's so easy to see that that an investment pays off and mm -hmm. and so the trick is 
but so much of your business isn't just where the money is obvious. Yeah. If, if we talk about the internet itself, I remember in the mid nineties, every magazine that I would get in the mail had an AOL disc <laughs> wrapped onto it. Yeah, and I remember no that. No matter where you went, Steve Case was sending you dial in, you know, I knew the internet was going to be big. Um, I even started changing my company based on it. But could you have imagined that CompUSA would go out of business as the internet got bigger? I mean, wouldn't you have thought that was going to that was going to be a great business? Who would have guessed that that like it would disappear or that televisions and movies would change so much or that you could start to buy cars online or that like a Tesla is actually using the internet as part of its platform so that the car upgrades itself and the internet's now part of the car. Not that you can surf the web while you're in the car, but the, the car gets smarter and can start to talk to the cars next to it and avoid collisions or drive itself. The, the point is, is that the meat suit, your current perspective is very limited. And what you have to be willing to do is to constantly think about what's next. And there you have it. Thank you so much, everybody, for listening to this episode of the Amplifier Podcast. Howard actually did three episodes with us, so be sure to check out the other ones if you haven't already. And also, please subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. Make sure you leave a like slash rating on your respective podcast platforms. It truly does help us out a lot. And we shall see you next time on the Amplifier Podcast.